So um, the story coming up in October and then 21 days of prayer starting tomorrow. Let's pray and we're going to get right into today. God, thank you for this day. Thank you that you are with us, that you are speaking, that you are here. Thank you for each person that's in this place today. Lord, we pray and thank you for those who couldn't be here today. God, we just ask that you would speak to our hearts, that we would respond to you. And that, Lord, you've invited us into a place of relationship with Jesus. How awesome is that? And, Lord, we just honor you today. And I pray, God, that as we look at these things, these, these, uh, these sins that trip us up, and today as we look at worry, God, that you would help us. You'd give us strength to defeat worry in our lives. And, Lord, we, just, we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we are continuing in this series that I've been in um, for a little bit called Victorious. And uh, during these weeks, I have been sharing, I want to share with, with you what I think are some keys and strategies from Scripture of how to have victory in areas that we tend to struggle with. Um, my heart, my prayer is that, uh, that we as God's people can walk in a, in a new level of freedom in, in, in areas that might uh, be, a, a, that we struggle with or trip up. But um, looking at specific areas that we all... Uh, can affect us all, or we might be know, know, know people that are struggling or dealing with these areas, or maybe they've been in our family. Week one, we looked at bitterness. If you want to get a hold of those, uh, you can listen to those. But bitterness last week was uh, focused on anger. Um, these all came out of my own personal walk, my own journey of things that God was putting his hand on in my life, revealing areas where I'd been bitter and I'd been angry, and today I'm dealing with worry. And, and, and so this came out of some prayer time where God was convicting my own heart. And so I don't want to just live with my own conviction. I want to share that with you so you can feel a bit convicted with me. Let's do this together. It's not just my journey, it's yours. And as a pastor, yes, pastors struggle. I could do a whole series on my own struggles, you know, the, the confessions of a struggling pastor. You know, we all deal with stuff, don't we? We're in a fight. Paul says that we're in a fight. He says our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers and high places. And so we are dealing with things. But I believe God wants to help us get free. Our key passage is this, Hebrews 12, one of my favorite passages. In fact, this series was kind of came out of it. I pray this passage over my life a lot. And so Hebrews 12 says this, and this is how kind of God was putting his hand on these things. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... And Paul is pointing us to the reality of heaven and the reality that people have gone before us. And he says this, since we're surrounded by that great cloud, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles or trips us up or causes us to fall easily. And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. God has a race for you, has a plan, a purpose for your life. And here's the key, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And a lot of times we get tripped up is what happens is we take our eyes off Jesus, don't we? We're running and we, we get distracted and we look to the side and we take our eyes off him and we trip and we fall. And I was praying this on vacation of all things. And God, you know, had the nerve to convict me while I was on vacation. I'm like, no, it's a good thing. And so I pray these things that the sin that so easily entangles. And I begin to just talk to God, God, help me with those things that easily trip me up. And then he began to really point some very specific things to me. And I wanted to get those things right with him. And, and I encourage you today, 
that we take an honest look at our, at our own heart, those, at those sins that easily entangle our feet, those nagging sins. And so then he says in there, and I talked about this, he says, let's cast those off. Let's lay those things aside. And it makes it sound so easy, doesn't he? And we say, how do we do that? How do we get victory? Can we have victory? And, and again, I think that God says, yes, we can have victory, that we're not dictated by those things. And we looked at last week about even how God said to Cain, he said, you must master over anger. Because you will either master it or it will master you, these, these sins. And that anyone who is sin, sinning is a slave to sin. And so I believe that God does not want us to be slaves to sin. I believe that as, as we walk along, we will have trips and we will have falls and we will struggle a bit, but we run to him quickly. And so these specific sins that I'm looking, they'll be tied to many other things in our lives, but I'm just kind of pointing out some that you might recognize again, or maybe they're generational. Maybe you see them and, you know, like my grandma, my grandpa, they struggle with these things, and it seems to be that the enemy has tried to pass these from generation to generation, and God wants us to take that step and say, you know what, it's not going to go to my, it's going to stop here. And I believe that God wants us to know that we can have that kind of freedom. So today we're going to look at worry, defeating worry. Any worry wards we have here? How many of you were, you were worried that I might ask that question? <laughs> Is worry an issue in your life? Are, do you tend to worry about things? And here's the thing, was it in your family? Do you recognize it? Because a lot of these things, again, that we, that we trip up, those sins that so easily entangle our feet, most of the time if you talk to people, if they're really honest before God, they, they recognize them. So yeah, that, that is something I deal with. At least we should. I mean, part of freedom is recognizing it. And a lot of times it's very, it's very obvious to us. But do you see it in your own life? Did you see it in your family? It's interesting as we look at worry, worry comes from an old German word meaning to choke or strangle. Isn't that a great analogy for worry? Worry is tied to anxiety, stress, uncertainty, fear, doubt, and torment. If we look around us, you know there's a lot of opportunities to be worried, isn't there? I mean, the economy, world stuff, the stuff that's going on with Syria. If you tend to worry and you watch the news, that's a worrisome thing. There's a lot going on. Maybe it's personal stuff. You're worried that you might get sick or there's this fear that hangs over you or there's generational fears or we fear for people we love. I'm fearful that my kids, are, are they making the right decisions? I'm worried about them and I, and I constantly stay in a place of worry. How about the unknown, the future, worry about death, fearful about death? I shared a while back that um, I went through a little bit of a, a period of time where I was gripped with fear about dying. And it, I mean, it was a very real fear. And I was, I mean, it, it was just, it was a battle that I had to, to fight through. And there's these endless scenarios of life. What about fearful of your past, of your regrets, fearful and worried about how that's going to affect your future or your children? 
And again, those, those scenarios that we don't have any control over. What about this? Well, what if this happens? If this happens, what is going to be my response? I mean, I, I deal with this on a regular basis. How am, I, how am I doing? I'm worried. Am I a good husband? Am I a good father? Am I a good pastor? Did I make the right decision there? Because guess what? We're, we're, we're frail and we're filled with flaws and we need Jesus every day. And I said this before, but I, I'm always amazed that God used people to lead his church. I'm, I'm just, that just, this stuns me that God would do that. But I think he did it so that we would understand that oh, we all need him and that we, you know, when Paul says, forgive each other, love each other, let love bind you, make allowance for each other's faults, because we're going to need to do that a lot. And we understand forgiveness because we've been forgiven much. And I think he gives us people to lead us because he said, you're going to get to practice forgiveness a whole lot. So maybe it will remind you of Jesus and how much he's forgiven you. If I were God, I would have put angels in charge of churches. I've, I've said that before. I, I, I would have. Angels with flaming swords. There is no debate. You would not argue with an angel with a sword. You might not. I mean, there might be some that do. I mean, you would be, you'd be foolish to do so. You would not send the angel with a sword a nasty email. I can tell you that right now. Lest he show up at your house and say, you want to you say that again? But I worry about that. You know, God, did we make the right decision here? And I'm praying through and I feel like that I'm doing what you called me to do, but there is a worry, worrisome thing that can get on you as a, you know, a wife, a husband, a parent, a child. Am I doing the right thing? Am I messing this up? So worry can be all around us, but guess what? The enemy wants worry, again, to dictate us, and it will choke and it will strangle the life right out of you. For some, worry has become your companion. If I don't think about this, if I don't worry about this, if I don't hold on to this, something worse might happen. And so we, we feel like that, 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 that worry becomes our friend. But guess what? Worry and control tend to go hand in hand, don't they? A lot of times, worrisome people want to be in control. Because they're worried if I, if I release that or if this doesn't happen, if I'm in control, then I have less to worry about. And then you're worried about being worried. And worry and control are tied together. So then we are in control. We are on the throne of our own lives. And we will control our own destiny. And we hear that in the world and the culture. It's all about you. You, sit, you, you determine, you deserve, you, you determine your fate. And, and we, we, we buy into this. So worry and control become interlocked. But trying to be in control of everything will make you worry. If I don't do this or that, it's all on me. It won't get done if I don't do it. Have you ever dealt with that one? Now, today I'm talking about worry. There is an opposite problem that some people operate in this kind of case around whatever will happen will happen. Um, so some people need to be a little bit more concerned about their lives, but not worrisome. There, so we're not talking about that other extreme. Some of you guys kind of looking over at your people in your family. It's like, yeah, I wish he was or she was worried about a little bit of something. 
So sometimes we need to be concerned, but I'm talking about the sin of worry. Some worry when there isn't anything to be worried about. It's kind of built-in mechanism waiting for something to happen. We're almost on pins and needles because something is getting ready to drop and we kind of are trying to, you know, it's, it's having all the plates spinning. You know that, those people that do that? It's always an amazing thing that they can keep those plates spinning. And that's kind of some of our lives. Is, and we're waiting for one of those plates to maybe slow down. And then we have to go do this and we have to go do that. And so sometimes it's the mechanism that is just built in us. But we'll never go toward freedom in Jesus until we recognize that worry is not a companion, it's an enemy. And again, Jesus, uh, the enemy wants us to be dictated by worry. He wants to train you in worry. Some of us have been trained that we're so good at it. It's just a part of who we are, that we're fearful and anxious. Worry is the opposite of faith. Romans 14, 23b, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. So it's the opposite of faith. It's almost having faith that worrying is your answer for life's issues. Worry is the sin of not trusting the power and promises of God. 1 Timothy 1.7 that's up there. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, a spirit of fear or anxiety or worry. He says, God's not given you that. That's not from God. Because it will invade us and it takes us captive. But what has God given us? He has given us a spirit of power. Not, it's not our own power. It's not our, our own strength. It is a power in the Holy Spirit, supernatural power. It goes beyond the natural and it's supernatural in nature. But just, he's given us supernatural power and he's given us supernatural love. And so we have the security in being loved. And I talked about this a couple of weeks ago of sons and daughters. When we understand that we are loved and there's a security in being loved, then what does that lead to? It gives us a sound mind. Doesn't worry sometimes make you feel like you're losing your mind? And the promise here is that he will give you a sound mind knowing that you are secure in him. I know who he is and I know who I am in him. That's why I love when Jesus uses, you know, there's a couple times in the gospels where he uses children to talk about the kingdom. So receive the kingdom like a child. You know, most times and it can't happen, but most little children are not just worried about everything. They're very confident and very bold. You know, if we don't chase them down, they will, they will go to exactly what they're wanting. And, they, and, and, and I, I love having my three-year-old now, Judah, who will just come and he kind of just is bold to come to me as a father or to Athena as a, as a mother because he's confident in who he is. He's gaining confidence, which is a beautiful thing. So he's not worried, walking around the house going, I wonder if I can talk to them about this and you know, and we think that's silly as a three-year-old. And that's why Jesus said, receive the kingdom like this. They're not worrisome. And so we've been given by the spirit of power and love, which gives us a sound mind. What did Jesus say about worry? Let's look at this next passage. 
from the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, I tell you, Matthew 6, 25 through 27, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he says this. This is, this is the value that God sees. Are you, much more, are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? That's a great one to just put up somewhere. Jesus, can, any, can worrying add an hour to your life? And the answer is no. And he's saying there's no benefit to worrying. And when he says that in there, he says, therefore I tell you, I, do not worry about your life. The word there is, 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 in the Greek is suke, meaning your entire life, the whole part of you. It's, it's your physical, mental, emotional, spiritual makeup. It's, it's the whole you. And he said, don't worry about any of that. When you belong to God and you have a relationship with Christ, he has us in his hands and he's saying, don't worry, I've got you. I've got you in the palm of my hand and worrying is not going to help your suke. It's not going to help any part of your life. But I've got your life in my hand. And so, so many of us deal with this or a form of this. And again, those things that can be associated with are stress, physical issues, headaches, sleeplessness, maybe a constant heaviness that you just walk around with. And again, if that's you, recognize it. Be honest with God. Because we, we want to, the, there's a freedom in forgiveness and we can repent for this thing and say, God, forgive me that I've been worrisome, and let him lift that off of you. So do you identify worry as a part of your life? Do do they sometimes dictate you fear, anxiety, doubt? So then what do we do about it? I'm glad you asked. Great question. Let's look at some keys. The first one, three keys to defeat worry. Number one is I will do what God asked me to do. I will do what God asked me to do. Obedience to God out of re- in relationship with him is one of the greatest ways to have peace in our lives. I'll say that again. Obedience to God in relationship, it's all about relationship with him, is one of the greatest ways to have peace in our lives. One of the greatest allies to worry is the fear of man. What will others think? I don't want to let them down. Does anybody deal with that today? I don't want to be a disappointment. Where we, they can, and people know when you have that fear of man because they'll ask you to do something because they know that you can't say no. You ever deal with that? It's like, please, please don't ask me. Please don't ask me. Yes, I will. I mean, they're secretly, uh, they're, people that deal with this, they're, they're begging God to say, please don't ever ask me this. Don't ask. Okay, I will, sure. Any fear of man, people? That's a, that's a sin that I pray about every day. God, help me. People-pleasing. And that's why one of the keys to defeating worry is I will do what God asks me to do. When we try to find ourselves doing what everyone else wants us to do, Proverbs 29, 25 
says this, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Fear of man will prove to be a snare. You know what the, the, the Hebrew word there indicates? A hook in the nose. You know, and, 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 and it's like this hook in the nose, that, and you're just, you're kind of, you know, it's, you're dictated, you're being drugged around, you know. Remember when your mom used to grab your ear? Did any, anybody have a mom that was an ear grabber? Or was that just me? <laughs> My mom was an ear grabber and a pincher. Whenever we were, I'd like to say I was an angelic child because I was a future pastor, but I was not at all. Um, but in church, if we were cutting up or acting out, and uh, mom would just reach over, and she would pinch you right there. And you weren't allowed to jump or squeal or anything because you'd get in trouble for that. And mom would do that kind of that thing where she'd keep the smile on her face. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and you were just, and, and you couldn't move. Or when we got older and uh, the youth would always sit in the back, the kids would sit in the back and, and we were, you know, taking notes for sermons. No, just kidding. Oh, we're passing notes to each other, laughing and giggling. And I could feel my mother's eyes as laser beams. I mean, it was a literal heat. I kid you not. It was something supernatural that my mom had, superpower. And I would just, I would just feel it. She's looking at me and I would look and she would just look at me and she'd give you that look. Like, you're going to get it. And then she would turn with the smile on her face again. <laughs> Confessions of a pastor, here we go. My mom was an ear grabber, and when she'd grab the ear, you were going wherever mom took you. The fear of man is a snare. It's a hook in the nose, and if you are dictated by that, it's going to drag you around everywhere you go. It, it's, it's got you. You don't have it. Fear of man. But whoever trusts the Lord, and that's what I will, I will do what God asked me to do. So what does God want you to do? How did Jesus combat worry? Look at what Jesus said in John 5. Or that's John 18, I'm sorry. John, I'm just going to quote this one, John 5. I, he said, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus did what he saw the Father doing, and he spoke what he heard the Father speaking. And he says, I, I, I'm just about the will of my Father while I'm on the earth. That's why I'm always amazed. Have you ever thought about this, if you have an active imagination of, here's Jesus, and, and it just seems like such a, in a natural standpoint, such a waste of a resource. I mean, you got the Son of God. He's divine in his nature. He's fully God, fully man. And he only does three years of ministry in about a 75-mile radius. He doesn't, like, fly over other parts of the world and minister to people. He just knew that what God had called him to do. And then again, why didn't they, that, that the Father have him start doing ministry at, like, five years old? The five-year-old, you know, Messiah preacher. He was, a, he was kind of hidden for 30 years of his life. He was working with his dad. He was a carpenter, his earthly dad, Joseph. And, you know, he learned that trade. And, 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 and then it's at 30, father says, now it's time for you to go into public ministry. There was just not a lot of stress. He's not sitting there tapping his feet going, let me go. You know, I, I could do a lot for you, father. And he just said, father, whatever you want me to do, I will do. And so he just didn't live in worry and fear. 
I will do what the Father tells me to do. Look at John 18. I'm looking at a couple of passages right before Jesus is crucified. This is the first one. John 18. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said this, my kingdom's not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. If my kingdom were of this world, um, buddy, you guys would be in trouble. That's what Jesus is basically saying. They would take up arms and then they would, they would take over right now. But my kingdom is not of this world. Next slide, John 19. Same context. He had been flogged. He had been beat severely. I mean, horribly beaten. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns. And they put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him and again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for charge against him. Pilate's trying to get out of this. His wife's had a dream. I mean, he is in a bad place here, and he's trying to figure out how to get out of this. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. Let's go to the next one. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he has claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went in back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered this, and I love this. You, have, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. In this moment where Jesus is at his most vulnerable hour, about to go to the cross, what is his response? My kingdom's not of this world. My father has all authority. He's completely in charge. He's completely in control of everything. And this looked like the greatest defeat, doesn't it? From an earthly perspective, it looks like this is awful. That is why his disciples spread out and they ran when he was arrested. This is not going well. This does not look good. This is not what we thought was going to happen. They were waiting for him. Lord, is this the time where we take over and you're going to beat all your enemies? And, and Jesus says to him, you have no authority over me except what's given to you from above. He followed his father's leading. Notice that he and his disciples also lived in, in the midst of the most, one of the most corrupt governments in history. The Roman government. This was a wicked, wicked government. Wickedness and debauchery abounded. Some of the so-called sexual freedom in that day would put some of the stuff that we're, we're, to shame. It was awful. His response in the midst of that, where do we see him in the Gospels? His response, nor the response of the apostles after Jesus left, was to overthrow the Roman government. 
their response was, our kingdom is not of this world. Our kingdom is in the kingdom of God. We will spread that kingdom. We will share the gospel with people. We will see the church grow. We will love God. We will do what he tells us to do. And most of the apostles were martyred for their faith. And they kept their eyes on him. They didn't die in defeat. They died victoriously. They lived for a different kingdom. And that's the way Jesus lived his life. So in this day that we live in, we might see a lot around us to worry about. But our job isn't to overthrow kingdoms on the earth, but to live in his kingdom. It's the same commission that was on the apostles. The gospel kingdom is not going to be defeated. Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will have a church. I will have a people. And your job is to spread the kingdom of God and the love of God into people's hearts. And so what do we do when, what, what, what do we, do when we are asked of people to do things? We say, Jesus, what would you have me to do? So we do what God asks us to do. You know, worry is also a battle of the mind. In the what-if times, he will ask us this. And let's, let's go to the next slide. Go to that first passage. In those what-if times, he's going to ask us to take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. And that's what Paul says. He said, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so how do we do that? We have to train our minds. We have to get into a place of saying, God, is it, when we have those thoughts, and some of us you know, have you know, really, you have active thoughts going on all day long. And, and uh, again, I'm not saying that this as a pat answer or a pat thing, but women tend to, their minds can be running all the time. My wife can't even imagine that I have an off switch. And I'm like, honey, I love my off switch. I can literally think about nothing sometimes. And some people don't even get that. My wife says, I don't even understand that. And I'm like, uh, you may not, but thank God I, I, I understand that. Where you just kind of get into the blank stare, you know, and it's, what's on your mind? Absolutely nothing. And it's absolutely refreshing. But when we're having those thoughts, especially, you know, when worrisome thoughts or burdensome thoughts, some of the burdens are from God. Sometimes he'll put a burden on you. And then what do we do is we cast the burden back on God. In relationship, we say, God, is that your thought? Is that thought from you? Does that thought align with the word of God? That's how we take it captive. Is the thought that I'm having from God or not? And then if it's not, say, God, help me. I, I, I just reject that. I'm not going to be captive to it. Is the request or burden that I'm having right now, is it from God? Now, again, I'm not talking about, again, the, the, the other extreme of just laying back and just doing nothing until I'm just going to wait. You know, I'm going to wait till God sends somebody to knock on the door and do something for me or, or, you know, somehow that God is going to take control of you and throw you around or something. You know, we're not puppets. We, 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 we do take initiative. We don't just sit around and do nothing. But we have in this relationship with God, this give and take, God, is this your thought? Is this your burden? What would you have me do here? The next passage is this, Philippians 4.8. How do we 
how, how do we have that victorious battle in our mind? Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, that's a good way to bring that thought captive. God, is this thought true? And if it's a thought, if it's a worrisome thought of your past of, you know, you're never going to get free from that. You'll never get, you're always going to be stuck in that. Is, that. is that a true thought? No, but that, that's not who Jesus says you are. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, is anything, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Taking those thoughts captive. But again, this will take training. And you know how you train? In relationship with Jesus. Talking to him and being honest with him. Secondly, let's go to the next one. To defeat worry, I will give to God what I cannot do. I will give to God what I cannot do. First, I will do what God wants me to do, and then I will give to him what I cannot do. You know, there are many things in our lives, there are people, there are scenarios that we do not, we have zero control over. You're not going to change it. Doesn't matter how much you worry about it or fret over it, you're not going to change those people, you're not going to change that situation, you're not going to change that scenario by worrying about it. But boy, don't we try? And if I could just have that amount of time, if I could just tell them, if I could just talk to them, if I could just, man, have an hour with them, just to, it's not going to happen. You're not going to do it. You can't change that person. And so what do we do? We give or we surrender these things to God. Back into Philippians 4, right before he says, uh, you know, th- this is right before he said what we just heard about thinking about things that are pure, lovely, and a good report. He says, do not be anxious, and that word fearful or worrisome about anything. That's a pretty straight-up command there. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, there's a conditional promise here. We like that... Okay, uh, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart. But what he's saying is, how do I not be anxious? And it's by, in every situation, by, by, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. God knows. Remember, he already is aware of what you're going through because he loves you. When I'm worried about things I can't control, what he's saying is, talk to God. Have a conversation with God. Every day do it. Be honest with him. Cast it on him. Give him, the care, give him the cares because he cares for you. And then he says with thanksgiving because I'll pray about it, I'll talk to God about it, and then I'll thank God that he is in control and he sees it all. And then once we train ourselves, what happens then? Peace. Peace in our minds. Peace to understand, God, I can't change that situation. I, I don't really know what to do with it. I, that person, that scenario, I don't know what to do here, but you do. I don't, and I thank you, God, that you're in control of it. And then peace. I mean, this is the very definition of faith. We give it to him, and then if he doesn't do what we think he should, sometimes we take it back, don't we? 
God, I make that prayer and petition. I thank you for it. And then the answer doesn't happen quite the way. And then I, okay, I'm going to take that worry back. Okay, God, thank you. You didn't do anything with it. I'll just take it back. Because a lot of times we approach God of saying, okay, God, I'm going to lay this out on the table. Here are the conditions. And then we treat God as if he's under us, right? Here's the answer. Here's the escape. You're going to do A, B, C, D, E, and if at all possible, F and G also. And God will tend to get our hands off of it because he loves us and he will smile at you lovingly and he will ball that up and he'll throw it away and say, I got this. Because I can do more in the midst of that than you think you can controlling and worrying about it. But then we have this exchange and it's this vicious cycle. Well, I'll take it back and I'll worry about it because God didn't do anything. So I'll worry about it and I'll have anxiety and sleepless problems and, and I'll have stress and ulcers. And God says, you sure you want that? Because I can give you peace. Would you like to trade? And I know that sounds a lot easier. I'm just kind of painting a picture for you that God loves us deeply. And he wants us to have peace. But we do this over and over. He says, talk to him. Have relationship with him. Give it to him. And then thank God it's in your hands. And when you take it back, give it back to him as quickly as possible. But when we get into that, it's having a wrong view of who God is. Do we believe that he's bigger than us? Do we believe that he's bigger than our circumstances? Worry and control will never change things. It never has happened. It never will. Third key to defeating worry is this. I will trust God no matter what happens. I will trust God no matter what happens. No matter the circumstances happen, no matter if things happen the way I think they should or not, I will trust God because why? He's good, he's faithful, and he's trustworthy. And I know that sometimes it seems that things are very random and chaotic, doesn't it? When you're going through hard things, when you're dealing with hard things, this is one of the hardest promises to believe. But that he is good, he's faithful, and he's trustworthy. Our worry says that God isn't worthy of my trust. Faith says I can trust God because he is in control and in charge of everything. That he's got it. Matthew 6, 33 through 34, here's what Jesus said. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added or given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. You notice we, we, we memorize 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. He said, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says, there's a reality that Jesus says, I, I'm with you. I understand every day has got a little trouble or it can. Jesus is not giving us false promises. He said, you know, they're, they're every, you know each day is going to have a list of things, and you know, you hit some days and it seems like it goes pretty well, and then some days have a little bit more trouble than others. But he's saying, do not worry about tomorrow. You know why I believe that he's saying that? Is he says, this ultimate thing that I'm asking you to do is walk in relationship with me, step by step, moment by moment. We'll get through this together. He wants us to need him all the time. You know, that's why he said, don't worry about tomorrow. You know, God's already in tomorrow. He's not limited or constrained by our time. 24-7 
is something that God just says they're going to need something to try to keep track of everything. But I do not, I'm not, I'm not in that. That's why God can go and heal things that happened in your past. He's already into tomorrow. He's there. He's ready to walk with you when you get there. So what what do worry and fear try to do? They try to diagnose, don't they? Don't we do a diagnostic? Well, this is happening, so now I have to figure out why that's happening. Fear and worry diagnose. Okay, these are the circumstances. Now I've got to go through the list. Did I do this right? Um, Maybe I wasn't obedient. Oh, man, did I say that the right way? Oh, I think that person's offended with me. Did I do the right? You, you see what I'm saying? We're trying to diagnose. Now, in relationship, I'm not saying that God will sometimes point things out, and he'll say, that was wrong. But you know what? We have a loving father. He will communicate to us. And if we say, God, is there something I need to get right? We don't have to diagnose and live in fear and worry about the hundred things that I might have missed. We just come to him honestly and say, God, show me. And when he shows us, then we have an opportunity to get that right. Diagnosing is torment. I read a book on healing many years ago when I was dealing with some my own thoughts and struggles about why people get healed, some you know don't get healed or whatever. And I read this one book, and this person had 25 reasons why people don't get healed. I thought, this is the most worthless thing. I've. I, I. Then you have to try to figure all that out. And, and now it's 25 reasons, diagnostics of, well, oh, man, well, I'm guilty of that. And I must have. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying that there's things that we need to get right with God. And sometimes we can forgive and that can set into motion healing and, 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 and things are tied to that. But to me, it represented torment. Because we have a loving God who loves us deeply and he understands my form and my frame. He understands how weak I am and he loves me just the same. And if I have this hundred things that I'm trying to figure out, it just represents torment. And we say, God, what do you want to show me? And then he'll show you and then you do get right. Trust God no matter what happens. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, very well known. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. That's worry. That's fear. Don't lean on your own understanding. When we're trying to figure it out and we're trying to lean on our own human understanding, that gets us in trouble. Because what we're doing is we are getting into the place where God belongs. We're leaning on our understanding. We're trying to figure out things. And we're, it's like, remember Job's friends? Job is going through all kinds of horrible things. And so his friends come and try to diagnose him. Well, surely you got this problem. Oh, you must have done this, Job. You've got, oh, there, there had to be this. And I'm thinking at some point, why didn't Job just tell you, you guys need to leave? Then the book of Job could have been way shorter. Get out of my face. I mean, well, no, because this can't happen to If you're righteous, then blah, blah, blah. You can't do that. You had to have some issues in your life. And he just, he just said, I need somebody to just, to, to just be here with me. I just need somebody to bear my burden and love me. 
Because we can get into trusting and in 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 leaning in our own understanding. And that is the place where God belongs. And it says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. And I want to finish with this last passage as we close together today from 2 Corinthians. Here's what Paul says. You've got to understand in context, he and his traveling team, they were out doing the ministry. They were doing the work of the kingdom. They were planting churches. They were loving God with all their heart. And they were experiencing some great trials and battles and suffering. And he says this, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. The stuff that they were going through, Paul was saying, you know what, the stuff that we're going through reminds us that the power is of God and not of us. We are so frail and weak. Verse 8, we're pressed on every side by troubles. But listen to this. He finds that little glimpse of hope, but we're not crushed. In other words, I see the troubles. Troubles are all around. But guess what? We're not crushed. God's still there. Because you know what the tendency is, is saying that we're filled with troubles all around. The end. God, thank you for all these troubles. And we can just moan and groan about all the troubles that are around us. But he says this. There's troubles everywhere, but we're not crushed. God's still here. We're perplexed. What does that mean? We're confused. Have you ever been confused? You don't know what's going on? You wish God would show you a little bit more clear picture? You wish he would knock on your door and maybe speak audibly to you? Have you ever prayed those prayers? I have. God, I'm perplexed. It's like a fog. It's like a thousand-piece puzzle that we don't have the cardboard box picture of. That We don't even know where to begin. It's just pieces. He says we're perplexed. But what? But we're not driven to despair. God's still here. God is still here. We're hunted down. You know, he could just stop right there. We're hunted. They were, God, we're doing your work. Why don't you protect us? Why don't you do something? These people are just chasing us around. We're trying to stay one step ahead of them. We're trying to spread your kingdom. We're trying to plant churches. And it seems like there's just threats. We're hunted down. But then he says, but we're never abandoned by God. And he finds the glimpse of hope and he says, God, you're still here. And I like that he doesn't try to shift away and say, everything's great. Let's put on a happy face. We're doing wonderful. How you doing, Paul? Fantastic. Now he says, no, it's real. It's, it's, we're hunted down. We're perplexed. We're, but in the middle of it, Oh, God's still there. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Then he says this, verse 10, through suffering. I didn't think God's people suffered. Read the Bible. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Paul was even saying, in our suffering, people are going to see Jesus. In all of it, we want people to see Jesus. If I'm knocked down, I want somebody to see Jesus. If I'm going through this, I want people to see Jesus. If I get that diagnosis that is horrible, I want people to see Jesus. If I don't know where I'm going or what I'm supposed to do, I want people to see that I'm 
just living for Jesus. Verse 11, yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death. But this has resulted in eternal life for you. You see his perspective? But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith that the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. He said, at the end of this, guys, we might be going through some stuff, but when we see him face to face, as we sang about earlier, it is all going to be worth it. Verse 15, all of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. It's about reaching people and bringing God glory. And so we can go through this. That is why we never give up, he says in verse 16. I'm not going to give up. You know why he said that? Because he felt like giving up. There are times when we feel like throwing in the towel and say that it's not worth it. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. And I love that because he's comparing it now to God. Before, he's listing the problems, and they don't seem very small, do they? From an earthly perspective, he said these things are huge. These things are mountains that we can never get over or around. It's just perplexing. But now he's saying, I'm looking at it in the light of God, in the light of eternity, in the light of the love of Jesus. Our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So then we don't look at troubles we can see now. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I read that and go, Paul, how did you do that? Because a lot of times the troubles are all we see. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. He said, this stuff is temporary. If you're dealing with issues, it's temporary. Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't throw in the towel. Fix your gaze on what can't be seen because in soon, in a moment, it'll be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. And again, when we see him face to face and we hit our knees and we are in our tears and he grabs us and he embraces us and he said this is this is what it was all about this this is what I created for you for and you held on and you you did it well done we are going to say oh my oh my word this is just god it was worth every moment and i see you through that lens god forgive me for the times that i worried so much about temporary things so god says when those things are happening and they're real and he admits that they're real. He doesn't divert and says they're not, you know, we'll just pretend they're not happening. They're very much happening. He said, compare them to God and don't give up. Because the ultimate issue, as I close down here, the ultimate issue of worry, fear, anxiety comes down to who is in the seat of control in your life. Today I ask you that question. It doesn't matter if you don't know the Lord, you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, maybe you've been walking with Him a long time. That question's for all of us. Who is in the seat of control in your life? 
This might be for you today that you, that you have never completely surrendered your life to Christ. And, and today he's inviting you to come. He's inviting you into a relationship, not a, you know, when, when I say it's not a thing of religion. What is religion? Religion is morals gets me to God. I'll live morally and God accepts me. No, that's every other religion in the world. That's what religion says. Religion says if you're more moral, God accepts you. Relationship says, I love you. I know you've blown it. Now come to me and I will receive you freely just as you are. And I will walk with you in life. And I will set you free. And I'll create you and make you the person that I called you to be. But he's inviting us to come to him today. And how do we do that? We just say, Lord, I I, I repent. I turn from my way of doing it. I turn from me being in control, being in the seat of control, and I give you control. Again, Jesus said, today is the day of salvation. Or maybe today you're here, you're dealing with specific issues in your life that that, that maybe worry, that worry that makes control or fear doubt those things that you can't ha- you don't have any control over but you're constantly worried and you're you're a worrisome person and you just recognize that and say you know what because I've been in the seat of control God wants you to get off that seat and let him take control today maybe it's generational and you see it and it's just been in your family and you like today and you're like you know what I don't want it to be I want it to stop with me Whatever it is, I just want to tell you today that Jesus loves you and he desires relationship with you. And he wants to meet you today. And, and the way we're going to close, again, is because um, we're dealing with these issues. And I'm going to dismiss you in a moment. And we're going to put some music on. And if you would like prayer for anything, you can. our leaders, I'm going to have our leaders come up. And, and, and they'll be available to pray with you if you'd specifically like prayer. If not, you just want to sit where you are, be alone with God, or come up here and find a place just to be alone with God and talk to God, that's great too. Whatever you want to do, if you need to go, God bless you today. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and I just pray that you will walk with the Lord each and every day because he loves you and he invites you to that life. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for this day. Thank you, God, that you've been speaking to us. And uh, Lord, we give you our worries, our fears, our anxieties, the fear of the unknown, the fear of future, the fear of death, whatever we're dealing with today, God. And we today want to just say, God, we give you control. Lord, I pray, God, for each person that whatever area, Lord, if maybe it's their total life that they just said, I've, I've been steering my own life and I've been in control of my own life and I want to give control to God and I want to serve him and love him. Or whatever it is, God, that we would just come to you honestly today. Lord, we love you. I thank you for your people. Thank you for what you're doing. Pray for your presence to lead and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you if you need to go. Some music playing if you'd like prayer. Come on up. If you want to be able to come on.